welcome to the St. Mark Show. This week, our guests are Brown Coach Redemption star, Marion Poultra, huge freaking arms creator, Eric Chen, a very special guest whom we can't say just now, theme song by Chico's Vibe, our new guest announcer, Gilbert Galfrey. And now, your host, the one, the only, St. Lord himself, Matthew Keller. Hello, everybody. Thank you, and thank you, Gilbert. No problem, Matt. Would you like to stick around for a bit? Absolutely not. Where's my paycheck so I can get out? All right. So long, Gilbert. So... A lot's happened since the last episode. My alma mater, Penn State, raised $9 million for the Four Diamonds charity for Thon Fundraiser. Uh, The bad news is Disney has already purchased the rights to make the film version Thon Legacy. (laughs) Following the weekend up there was uh, State Paddy's Day, which resulted in almost an equal amount of damage. (laughs) Didn't these kids know the Oscars were on? There's nothing wrong with being fucked up while watching the Oscars. God knows James Franco was cool with it. (laughs) But we got a lot to do. So let's get started with our first segment, Skyping with the Stars. Welcome back to the St. Mort Show. Uh, we are doing our Skyping with the Stars segment with Marion Poltro. She is one of the <laughs> one of the stars of the new web series Casters, as well as in the movie Brown Coats Redemption. Uh, it's great to have you here, Marion. Thank you. It's, I'm really flattered you asked me. I I don't think I'm a star, but. <laughs> That's that's a frequent you response. The Skype with the stars, I accept. <laughs> well, that's a frequent reaction from everybody on skyping and with the stars. <laughs> Is that also an irony? <laughs> uh, not completely. They're stars in my mind. Uh, oh. You're you're in the same rankings as people like George Hardy from Troll Two, and uh, that's th- cool. And the Hobbit hip hop group Lord of the Rhymes. Oh, I haven't heard of them. <laughs> I'll be looking them up as soon as this interview is over. Um, now, I actually know you from a couple years ago when I was put, trying to put together a movie, and yep. it never got off the ground. But you were one of those people who came into the uh, audition process, and just immediately I was like, no, like she's the person for this role. Um, <laughs> and I, I was so happy to just see you doing so well even though the movie never happened and we never really got to hang out that much we stayed friends on facebook and just seeing like you know brown coat stuff and people getting excited for this firefly fan film and and now casters uh it's just great to see you getting the attention i think you deserve because i remember everybody who was working on on describing the moon at the time was all in agree uh, all agreed like this this she's she's got what it takes she's going to be the big thing almost to the point that we were like man if we shoot this movie we could just hold out until she gets famous and then just ride the <laughs> Marion train and then boom release it <laughs> first starring role <laughs> um, now i guess it we'll it would have been my first film yeah sadly that all fell through but that's for another podcast um <laughs> So tell me about brown coats. Are are you yourself a, a Firefly fan? I am. That's how I got involved. Um, it was uh, produced by a team of people from Maryland, and I was living in Pennsylvania at the time, so it was close enough that I was like, I can audition for this. I can do this. Um, it's a, a fan film, so it's it's based in the Firefly universe, uh, but using different characters. Obviously, they didn't want to break any copyright laws or intellectual property and all that. And um, they're really smart about it. They contacted Fox and Universal to to make sure that they weren't stepping on anybody's toes. They were given certain parameters they could use. And because they weren't um, profiting from the film, they set up a, a nonprofit organization to produce the film. And all of the proceeds from the DVDs are going to charity. Um, and all the charities that they chose are charities that were either founded by or are supported by um, people who are part of the original Firefly cast. Um, so that kind of ties it all back in. And they're just a, 
a crew of, you know, rowdy, fun people who love Firefly and being a Firefly fan myself, it was really exciting to be involved with it. I, I was really pleased that I, I had that opportunity. Now, I've noticed, and maybe again, I mean, it's possibly biased just because I'm friends with you on Facebook, but mm -hmm. I've noticed a huge response from the get-go about this particular fan film, much bigger than most other fan films that I've seen. And I guess it, it has to do with, you know, a tight fan base for Firefly in the first place, but have you been noticing a, a really big response, or am I just imagining it? <laughs> Um, no, I don't think you're imagining it. Uh, the the fan base for Firefly and Serenity has been hugely supportive. Um, something I didn't know about uh, Firefly fans was that they are kind of uh, rabid, and I mean that in the best sense. Um, I, I had several friends who were fans of Firefly, and we would talk about it once in a while, and I turned a few people onto the series because I, I enjoyed it so much myself, but I didn't, I haven't seen anything else by Joss Whedon. I didn't grow up watching Buffy or Angel or any of that, and I um, and I didn't really know anything about the fan base and how how excitable they they were. And so far, there have been a few projects that were um, announced and or began production um, set in the Firefly universe, and they were also supported very strongly by the fan base. But uh, Browncoats was the first one that we know of that was completed, um, and so I think the the fan response has been really super strong. Now, has someone rectified this terrible lacking of Whedon in your life? <laughs> I have since started watching, you know, based on recommendations and whatnot. I, I did get through the first season of Buffy. I haven't watched Angel yet. Um, I never saw Dollhouse, but I also had seen, before I, before I participated in, uh, in Browncoat's Redemption, I had watched all of Dr. Horrible, which I, I thought was very charming and witty and... Um, <laughs> I don't know that I can consider myself a Whedonite in the true sense because I don't know as much as a lot of these people, but I don't want to sound like I'm totally ignorant yeah. or, uh, or, you know, like I don't care. I just, you know, it hasn't been my experience that that's, I, I don't necessarily pursue that or whatever. I don't know. I, I would stick through, uh, keep going with Buffy. <laughs> okay. uh, first, first season is a little rough. Okay. And, uh, it does get better, um, and it gets awkward with Angel, because uh, the way Angel was written, the show of Angel was written to be a continuation of episodes of Buffy for the first season. Okay. So, like the season that Buffy premiered, or the season that Angel premiered, like you literally, if you watch one episode of Buffy, at, like the first episode of Buffy season four, and then the first episode of Angel season one, they are a continuation of story. Interesting. So, like, you can so you watch... you kind of have to have prior knowledge in order to really get into Angel. Sort of. Like, you can watch them separately and enjoy them, but it's kind of an, a cool way that the episodes keep just running into each other. And then they... I guess it got difficult because they stopped doing that after, like, the first season. <laughs> <laughs> it became more of a true spin-off. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just an hour-long continuation of the previous episode that you just watched. Interesting. From, from what I understand, and I could be totally wrong again, I, I don't pretend to be an expert, but um, from what I've heard from my Weed and Night friends, um, Josh Whedon oversaw but had little to do with the writing of Angel as it continued because he was working on Firefly and Dollhouse and all that other kind of stuff. Is that true? Pretty you much, know? yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's Buffy's the one I love. Buffy's the one that I could watch over and over again. Mm -hmm. Firefly is great, but I definitely don't watch that with the consistency that I've rewatched Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, now, tell me about Casters. It's you know, ironically, you're on my podcast promoting it is, Casters. It is. It is. A, as you said earlier, not funny irony, but it's... it's no, it's not. I mean, I don't expect people to laugh. It's like, ah, <laughs> so ironic. Peace, laugh. Um, Pastors is a web series about three friends who run a podcast, which is kind of an... It's, it's interesting for me as an actress to get into this character because um, we are actually recording podcasts with actual guests as a supplement uh, medium to the web series episode. So the web series episodes are going to be about, um, you know, maybe 20 minutes a piece. Our first two are complete and it premieres this month, which is, uh, this is February, 2011. So by the time you're listening to this, I'm assuming it's already up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but the, the, the episodes kind of, uh, revolve around the characters and what goes on and it touches on the, on the podcast and how it links them all together. But, but there's really very little, 
of the podcast in the episode. And then the actual podcast is, you know, about an hour long podcast and it's, it's recorded with the actual guest who is playing themselves. So we're interviewing legitimate people, artists, performers, writers, whatever, who are not playing characters. We're interviewing as, as though we are the people that we're playing. Um, and so it's really interesting for me because it's completely improvised. Like we have a few questions, but I have to maintain my character while I'm interviewing this real life person for a podcast. So it's kind of, kind of an interesting challenge. That That is, I can imagine that's quite difficult. Even with like the St. Mort show that I'm doing, you know, to pull the curtain away a little bit from the show. No, it's, it's, <laughs> no, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not in front of a live studio audience. It's all fake audio clips. Um, and and while, just... while I do the monologues and everything in that jokey character, I do take the interviews quite seriously. You know, I'll joke around, especially if it's someone that I'm friends with, but mm-hmm. I don't, I can't do the interviewing character. It's something that I just can't do. Um, so the fact that you're doing a full hour podcast completely in a character other than yourself is impressive to me. It's a real, it's, it's like a weird blend of reality and acting. It's, it's kind of bizarre. And it's, I feel like it's very appropriate to modern culture and technology where there's this level of interaction with celebrities and this, uh, you know, immersion in celebrity culture where they're all tweeting and they're, you know, but we still associate them with the characters we've seen them play. So we don't really know them on a, on a real level. It's just this weird interaction of reality and the mystique of performing. I don't know. It's a really interesting juxtaposition to me. Now, some who are some of can, are you allowed to say who some of the people are that are going to be on yeah, the podcast? Totally. Um, we we actually I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but probably and uh, probably it's fine. Um, we were supposed to interview um, a, a celebrity blogger named Miss Destructo, mm-hmm. um, real name Amber Osborne. Uh, she has a blog and she t- tweets a lot. Um, and she's kind of like a social media maven type person. And we were supposed to interview her for one of our episodes. And unfortunately, she had a health issue and wasn't able to make it up to New York, which is where we're filming the podcast and everything, um, to be a part of it. We're hoping maybe in the future that'll work out. But it's it's people who are maybe not the most famous people you've ever heard of, but in social, certain circles, they're very well known. Um, our first guest was um, a guy named Joe Young. His last name is spelled J-U-N-G. Um, and he's a, a singer-songwriter and an actor who runs um, a theater company in New York called Project Theater. And they do all new works, um, very interesting. Uh, they, they've, they're doing a new series of works called Our Bar, and it's all new works set in a bar setting. So they actually perform at a bar. Um, and they, again, it's, it's kind of like what we're doing. It's an interesting juxtaposition of performing and real life it's uh you know just like pushing pushing boundaries like pushing yourself as a challenging yourself as a person as a performer and trying to be innovative in the field and he was actually an understudy in bloody bloody andrew jackson which is a musical that ran um off broadway for a little while and then on broadway for about three or four months just closed in january um and it was a critical hit like everybody loved it i saw it it was great um and he was in that ensemble for a little while uh through the run of the show so it was kind of cool. I mean, he's a really cool guy. He's got his, you know, thumb in a lot of interesting theater-related projects in New York. So, just interesting stuff. All right. Well, thank you for coming by, Miriam. Um, where can my listeners find you if they want to follow you about your further projects and stuff like that? I have a website. It is my name, miriampoltro.com. Uh, M-I-R-I-A-M-P-U-L-T-R-O. And um, there are links on that to my, my Facebook page and my, my Twitter page and all the other outlets that I use. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, we're going to go to a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Do you like movies? I know you do. Everybody likes movies. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you like movies. So you know what you should do? You should go on Geekscape.net. You should join the Geekscape.net forums. And you should join the movie club. First episode comes out Monday. That's this Monday. Watching the movie King of Comedy with Robert De Niro, directed by Martin Scorsese. So if you like the St. Mort Show, you're going to like that. So I suggest you go check that shit out now. Bye.
everybody. We're back with Eric Germ of HugeFriggin'Arms.com. Uh, thanks for coming into the studio, Eric. Good to be here, Matt. Uh, now, you run the website HugeFriggin'Arms.com, um, which I'm, I don't know if my listeners really know. It's still kind of a, I wouldn't say it's a new site, but it's still kind of an underground site. People find it, and people who find it seem to like it, but it's not, you know, ads all over the place. It's definitely not Crack.com, although it certainly could be with the content quality. It's kind of a, a side thing. I, I opened it up years ago uh, and bought the domain and then never really did anything with it. And just now I realized I'm paying for this domain every month and I should probably do something with the site. So more to come in the upcoming months, but for now it's it's what you see is what you get. Now you uh, just recently got me into Star Trek because of an article that you had posted on the site a couple weeks ago about Twilight and uh, vampires. Right. Uh, brilliant article. Like like I said, some of these articles are crack-worthy, cracked-worthy. And, I, I mean, did you even try submitting that to Cracked? Or? No, I don't know how. There's there's a whole process you got to go through. and If you listen to the episode 2, Michael Swaim tells you how to do it the simplest way. Oh, cool. <laughs> and you get 50 bucks if they print it. So. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so. uh, I actually wouldn't submit in mine. There's, there's an article on the site. Um, Steph Germ, who is my wife, was watching television one day, USA Network, and found that all these shows simply just run together. They're all yeah. pretty much the same show. And there's one coming out called Fairly Legal. So she thought of one that wasn't like the others and created something called Barely Legal. <laughs> and it's basically a screenplay of her running into the USA office and pitching this show. Uh, that would probably be the... That's probably the best article we have on the site. That's the one I would pitch to anybody. Now, uh, can anybody send articles in to be on Huge I encourage Arms? people to send articles because I promised myself I'd do one at least three times a week, and it's dwindled down to maybe once every two weeks. So if anybody does want to write for the site, just go to Huge Friggin' Arms, and you can find the contact information there. Now, it's not just articles on the site. Also, there's uh, animation, there's comics, uh, vid all types of videos. Uh, what exactly would you, if you had to like label yourself as one thing that you prefer doing above all, what would it be? Probably animation, even though I'm not very good at it. Um, when the site originally started, uh, I bought the domain back in 2003 when I was still in high school. Uh, I didn't know how to use Flash, so everything was all video edited. And uh, once out of high school, I learned Flash. I started submitting to albinoblacksheep.com, newgrounds.com. Uh, had numerous Flash animations stolen by jokeroo.com, who can go fuck themselves. <laughs> um, and so I did that for a while, and then, you know, just kind of stopped once I started working full-time. I still try and animate here and there. Now, what happened with the Joe Guru thing? JoeGuru.com is a website that used to uh, lurk the Albino Black Sheep links and submission forum, which, uh, you know, aspiring Flash artists would uh, try to get their Flash animations put on Albino Black Sheep's very selective main page. Um, and what Jokeroo would do would find the Flash animations that people submitted that maybe weren't on the site yet, take them and put them on their own site without crediting the author, kind of like E-Bombs World used to do. Yeah. Well, they uh, they took one of mine called The Ugliest Snowman and put it as a holiday e-card on their site. I went to their forums to ask them to take it down, and their forum base basically made fun of me. And then the owner of the site came into the forums and kind of joked around with them and told me that, I had to prove that I owned it. So I went behind their backs, found out who their web server was, went to them and told them that they're putting stolen content on the site. As soon as I mentioned that, I got emails flooded in. Hey, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take the thing off. You know, we'll pay you for it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Jokeroo uh, can eat shit. Now, uh, for the listeners from Philly that listen in on the show, they might know you also from your work with Preston and Steve. How did you get hooked up with them? Uh, I I was listening to their promos that they play during WMMR. Um, they take little clips from the show earlier in the day and play them to advertise Preston and Steve. And they did one about uh, holiday tipping and if you should tip your garbage man, if you should tip your, you know, uh, mailman. And Preston didn't do it. So um, they used all these sound effects and machine guns and stuff. So I decided to put that to animation. And I just did it, sent it in, you know, said, hey, guys, I did this for you. I love the show, blah, blah, blah. Immediately got an email back saying, we watched it like ten times, we want you to come into the studio. So I did, I went in, I did another animation for them, did another, and then they had um, 
this holiday thing that they played, Charlie Brownstein. Uh, <laughs> they brought kids into the studio years ago and had them read from the script Charlie Brownstein that Steve wrote. And uh, I undertook it upon myself to animate that, which became one of the biggest hits on my site to date is the Charlie Brownstein flash. Now, be now. What was your name when you were doing like the new ground stuff? Were you always huge friggin' arms, or is there another name that some of I'm, my listeners might know you? From? I'm actually never huge friggin' arms. I'm always Tasty Baby Soup. I needed a username to register on this website, and <laughs> it brought me to this d- dead baby joke. <laughs> and the punchline contains Tasty Baby Soup, so I just did that. It was allowed, and that's been my online moniker ever since. Now you are one of the biggest geeks i know and that's coming from Guilty. myself who considers myself a pretty big geek the first time i ever met you was we were at the same halloween party and you and your wife were dressed in homemade fairly odd parents costumes which the following year i saw thousands of shitty attempts at the same costume that you guys did in like an hour now let me correct you award-winning <laughs> shitty fairly odd <laughs> oh parents that's right costume. you did win the award that year for best costume <laughs> <laughs> I put that together in literally one hour the night before, the morning before, actually, because we hadn't thought of a costume yet. <laughs> and I remember I was also there as Doodle Bear. Doodle Bear. <laughs> I, drew, I drew a period stain down by your crotch. Yes, you did. Your, I still have that shirt hanging in my closet. With your red marker. <laughs> the Doodle Bear costume basically composed of me wearing a hat that had bear ears and a shirt and markers so people could draw on me. It was the most simplistic $10 costume I could pull out of my ass, mostly because I'd already used but my pr- favorite costume the year previously, and I didn't want to repeat myself. Priceless memories for years to come. The year before, though, was my favorite. I was already the strongest man in the world from uh, Pete and Pete, and I was like, I brilliant. can't repeat this costume again. So. <laughs> the year before, we were... I don't remember. The following year... Um, we went as Arnold and Gerald. Nice. See, that's the thing is that uh, I think we come from the same thought process of if you're going to do a Halloween costume, you should build it yourself just using stuff that you can find. Like, I get so annoyed when people win costume contests Ugh. for shit that they bought in the store. And slutty shit. At yeah. That. I And this is like a dear friend of mine. I'm not even going to say her name. But the first costume party I ever went to, I showed up in a costume that I made myself of Kenny Fisher from Can't Hardly Wait. I had the backpack, I bought condoms, candles, loaded the backpack up with all the stuff from the movie, uh, got the big jacket, the the goggles, fucking nothing. Not a single vote. That's horseshit. The person who won was wearing a store-bought Lucy uh, costume. Lucille Ball? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this, 1947? <laughs> like, so I was like, what the fuck? And she's one of my close friends, and I still to this day give her shit. But she's the only one that admits that I should have won in that costume. You should have gotten something for Doodle Bear. Uh, I didn't know anybody there. They weren't going to vote for me. Fuckers. <laughs> like, it's a popularity thing. Yeah. It always comes down to that. Now, what are... Let, let's not even... I mean, go visit hugefreakingarms.com. It's a great site. What is some shit that you're excited about? Uh, keep in mind that we're doing this interview in February, and it probably won't come out until March. But as a geek comics movies cds what what shit are you like just stoked is coming out uh saw the captain america trailer from the super bowl looks fucking badass the red skull like when he, that quarter tiny, of a second tiny looks little great pulling off his mask <laughs> i don't even who is that uh it's uh i never looked it hugo up hugo weaving the guy uh, yeah the vendetta <laughs> um tell you what uh we're on the fence on here at uh, Huge Friggin' Arms is the upcoming Dark Tower movie adaptation. I like that there's like... I like that it's not going to be a two, three hour movie. I like that they're splitting it up. Well, I like that it's just... I think it's a huge risk. I've... I've I'm, huge I hate, risk. I'd hate to admit this. I'm still kind of new to King. I haven't read Dark Tower yet. I'm getting... I'm building my way there, but I've been told like... The, the appreciation of Dark Tower is better the more that you know about his other novels because there's so many references I, to it I would, throughout it. If, if I could give you one piece of information, if you haven't done it yet, read The Stand. All right. That is one book that you need to understand the undertaking of the Dark Tower. All right, so I'll have to read The Stand soon. Um, but I like that, if, I'm, if I recall correctly, Geekscape keeps reporting 
that not only is it going to be a couple movies, it's going to be a couple movies with like a TV show a in between. Like that's fucking intense. That's <laughs> like, it's, you're going to have to be a fan of the films. It's it's Ron Howard directing it. So it's not like they're going to do it and then lose funding and not finish it. Yeah. They'll 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 finish it through whether it's good or not, but it's it's kind of tough and it then won't be like Aragon. Right. It's, <laughs> 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 what a piece of garbage. But um <laughs> Oh man, that poor movie. <laughs> and it just <laughs> they tried. Ends. It doesn't even end. It's just like, we'll see you in part two. <laughs> uh, and then part two never came. Um, also, there's a word of an upcoming um, adaptation of The Stand. Um, Which they, they recently, I think it's episode 197 of Geekscape. Uh, they sat down and talked about that. And they were even saying, like, the miniseries was missing a lot of shit from the book that pissed off fans. Six and a half hours. So how do you do a two-hour movie It's funny you everything? should say that because somewhere over on my bookshelf is the original screenplay of the Stan two-and-a-half-hour movie. And I read through the entire thing, and it's it's garbage. If they would have <laughs> made it, it would have been a... It would have ruined the integrity of the one of the most amazing books I've ever read. Um, if they do anything other than that, it has a chance. All right. <laughs> but um, there's a supervillain in the film called uh, Randall Flagg. He's the the personification of evil. And we were talking about who we thought could be the Randall Flagg in the movie. It was Jer- Jamie Sheridan in the original miniseries, who's yeah. somebody I don't know if you've ever heard of. If anybody heard of him, yeah. it would be you. Yeah. So if you didn't hear of him, then... No one has. Yes. <laughs> and uh, he wasn't very good so you have to pick somebody who looks like an everyman but can be pure fucking evil yeah and i thought if hugo weaving was a little younger he could pull it off uh we're also thinking killian murphy could make a good randall flag nice um this is more for anybody listening to agree with well you should um you know geekscape did it and i know on smodcasts uh on the smodcast network they have a show called bagged and board it uh, also did it, but a lot of websites have been doing their cast the stand movie list. I, I think that is an endeavor for huge freaking arms if there ever was I think, one. I think myself and uh, <laughs> staff writer Beatrix Kiddo should should collaborate on that because it's <laughs> it's got to be done right or else it's going to. And and how many other times a year do you really get such a giant ensemble movie that you already know the information that you can sit down? I mean, it's only like this or like a, you know, an Avengers movie where you're like, okay, I can cast this movie because right. I know these characters. Right, and and it's not even just picking characters. It's picking director. It's picking, you know, it, it's, The Stand is a, is a post-apocalyptic mo- uh, last, book. Last question because we're running short on time um, because I've got a very big guest next. I want to make sure I have plenty of time for him. Absolutely. But... What do you think about the current rumor? And again, this is this is early February that we're recording this, so by March this could be completely debunked by now. But about Shane Black uh, possibly directing and writing Iron Man three. Uh, after Iron Man two, I'd say um, anybody who can give it a fresh new twist is something I can get on board with. And Shane Black has written and directed one of my all-time favorite movies. He did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Robert Downey Jr., which is. He's Still one of the most incredibly well-written movies I've ever seen. And underrated. <laughs> Very underrated. Uh, anybody who's never seen it that's listening, you you should throw it on your Netflix queue and or just buy it. Because you're going to want to watch it again and again and again after you see it. If they're going to do Mandarin, I would say you need somebody with fresh new ideas to, Fair enough. to do it. Because that's that's got to be something you display on the actor's face rather than have somebody playing Mandarin. Yeah. All right, well, thank you, Eric. Matt, thank uh, you. Thanks for uh, having me on. I hope to have you back someday. Have a good one, sir. Thank you, sir. Hey, you remember a couple episodes when we had a group of guys that called themselves Matt and Chris, who ironically happened to also be named Matt and Chris? Well, guess what? Those fuckers have their website up now. That's right. You can go check them out at brokensoundmedia.com. That's right, brokensoundmedia.com. Are you in a band in the PA area? You want to get recorded? You want some music videos done? Well, then they're the fuckers to check up on because they know how to do it and they do it right. So check it out at brokensoundmedia.com. Dot com support St. Morcho and support Matt and Chris. 
Okay, and welcome back. Now, those of you who are regular listeners know that the third segment is normally a musical guest, and those of you who follow my Twitter know that I, I've got some big news, someone really special and exciting on the show, so I'm proud to announce that on the show right now, none other than acting superstar Jonah Hill. Hi, how are you? Jonah, thank you for coming on the show, man. Oh, not a problem, man. It's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, how have things been going? Uh, you know, what, what movies are you working on right now? Uh, well, you know, I'm still working on the 21 Jump Street movie. It's like my pet project. Just finished doing uh, a bunch of stuff with uh, Judd Apatow. So, you know, you know how that is. Um, it's, it's Hollywood, baby. Um, you know. Jonah. Hollywood. Uh, it's awesome. I'm getting the feeling you're not really Jonah. <clears throat> Why? <laughs> what? Come on, now. Why would why would anybody say that? It's just kind of uh, well, a little for, rude, don't you think? Well, for starters, wow. you sound nothing like Jonah Hill. Well, I have a cold. And I just checked IMDb. There is no news of a Twenty One Jump Street movie. Okay, well, you know, whatever. Who, who are you really? All right, well, this is John. <laughs> John of the John Blog. All right, well, that was quick. Yeah, <laughs> um, I didn't take long. Now it's a lot faster than it happened in real life, I guess. Yeah. Now tell us, tell us the story. For those of you listening, John is infamous for being the creator <laughs> of Jonah Hill underscore Jew, the Twitter account, uh, which for, that say infamous, <laughs> <laughs> which a lot of people thought was Jonah Hill, myself included. Um, <laughs> Now, how many? What was what was the amount of followers you had by the time that the news had broke that you weren't Jonah Hill? Uh, I I think it got up to six thousand at my last count. I did lose track because you know once you have a celebrity account, uh, those numbers just start piling up and piling up when people you know believe that you're an actual celebrity. So now, okay, let's go back to the beginning. Why did you decide? to make a fake Twitter account for Jonah Hill in the first place. Well, it's funny because I was actually at work and I had a coworker who, at this point, it's been so long, I don't even remember who it was that he got excited about, but he uh, he was following some, some celebrity Twitter account and he was telling me how this guy replied to him and uh, I have no idea why I can't remember who it was, but the whole point was I pointed out to him, I was like, you, you realize it's probably a fake. It's most likely a fake. And this is before uh, Twitter started doing, you know, verified accounts. Very shortly before that, uh, so I told him I was like, "That's that's a fake." Um, you know, he didn't buy it, and I, I think I feel kind of bad about it because he was so excited. But <laughs> but John, also, John the John Blog Crusher of Dreams. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so he basically told me, "It's like, well, you know, can you do something like that?" And I, I told him, "I was like, I can." I could totally make a fake profile and probably make it work. I really didn't think it was going to go as far as it did, but uh, that's that was the genesis of it, basically. It was kind of a dare. Now, why Jonah Hill? Well, I was thinking of, first off, you have to find, you know, does anybody actually have, or the person that you're going to pick, does that person already have a Twitter account? And if they don't, uh, who can you think of that would most likely have a Twitter account? And Superbad, Superbad was still pretty big at the time. I really like Jonah Hill. Uh, you know, I think he's funny, witty, witty guy. He's pretty quick on his feet, that kind of stuff. Um, and I just kind of looked looked at his stuff online. Uh, I, I can't remember who I looked at before. I think I was looking at Jason Siegel, um, the guy who uh, who did you know uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. He's on How I Met Your Mother. I was really close to doing that. And there's a guy who already runs. A fake Jason Siegel. So I went with I went with Jonah Hill. That was my second choice. Uh, Michael Cera was another one, obviously for the super bad thing. But um, a bunch of people are already doing that. So I picked uh, Jonah Hill. And uh, one of the other things that I was kind of disgusted with was the quality of, of the fake accounts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna have Johnny Depp saying things like you know what up G's <laughs> on, <laughs> on his Twitter. It was just really really poor. Yo, those waffles I had were banging. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah I'm re- I really buy that. Johnny Depp thinks waffles are banging. So I, I actually went really detailed into it. I mean, I decided I was going to post pictures uh, on TwitPic. 
I was doing a, a play at the time, and I did some back uh, backstage pictures, and you know, um, put it up there on on his Twitter account, on the Jonah Hill Twitter account, saying, uh, "This is from the set of my movie." You know, things like that. Yeah, I picked a, a Twitter picture. Um, I found one online of him with Kanye West, and it was just funny to me seeing Jonah Hill uh, hanging out with Kanye West. You know, <laughs> like so. I was like, "This is probably something he would do." You know, this is this is essentially this guy might be famous uh, to an extent, but you know, you could still tell he's kind of like you know he's the overweight kid who who still isn't sure about his fame, and you know he's probably gonna post something like that. You know, that oh my god, I'm hanging out with Kanye West. Now, so. now I would say the the point that really I think blew this to the to the biggest level was when you started tricking other celebrities. Yeah, that was in, fun. <laughs> into thinking that you were Jonah Hill. Um, what I needed you- cred. I really needed because I mean, even when you do that, when you start up an account and you start posting pictures and stuff like that, it's really not enough. So one of the things I decided to do is try to find, uh, you know, try to start talking to celebrities and on Twitter, obviously, you know, to get their attention. The only real way to do that is to do you know replies and just kind of hope that they see them. And uh, Doug Benson, he's a pretty, you know, he's a pretty big comedian. Um, he was on, he's on Twitter. He's actually got a really funny Twitter account. Uh, I met him in Austin once, on the street. He was, he had just done a show, and he was higher than a kite. Well, that's Doug Benson. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I got my picture taken with him and everything. So I, you know, I started, you know, going back and forth with him as Jonah Hill with jokes, and he finally um, added me. And he sent me a, a direct message going, is, you know, is this really Jonah Hill? And I told him, um, yeah, I met you in Austin that one time, and we were talking about this and that. You know, I was hoping he would remember that, and, and that would be enough. And he sent me a message back. He was like, uh, we met before that. Do you not remember that? And you know, it was kind of one of those oh shit moments. And what's sad is, I, I don't know if it's because, you know, Doug, Doug likes the weed, but, you know, maybe he forgot about Google. Because <laughs> uh, I went on Google, literally all I did was put in, like, you know, Doug Benson, Jonah Hill. And one of the first things that came up was uh, Jonah Hill and a couple other familiar people that I can't remember. They they were at an event, which was a CD release party for Doug Benson's comedy album. So, I, I mean, I just looked at some of the details. It was just a little blurb, you know, it was in somewhere like in, in L.A., uh, it actually said, I think it was probably at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I found this in seconds <laughs> and responded pretty quickly. It was like, you know, it was at your CD release party, dumbass. And um, right off the bat, he sends out a tweet to, you know, his thousands of followers saying, hey, this is really Jonah Hill. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's when I, I got started and I got a whole bunch of followers. Uh, I got Nia, Nia Vardalos. Who wrote and directed my big fat Greek wedding? She started flirting with me online. It was great. <laughs> she would send me messages about how cute I was, and yeah, it was really surreal. Now, uh, I read your blog, and a couple entries ago—I mean, this was probably months ago—you yeah. would actually admit it that uh, one of the the, the St. Moore show is sponsored by Geekscape.net, and one of our frequent co-hosts is the lovely and beautiful Felicia Day. Oh, okay. And I recall reading that she was talking to you, and you had no clue who she was. Yeah. that <laughs> Man, this is... A lot of people... Uh, a lot of people hate me for this, because <laughs> I... Uh, sometime last year was the first time I actually finally sat down and watched uh, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. I heard so much about it. But I just, I don't know why, I just, I just never saw it. I think I saw maybe like the first one online or bits and pieces of it. Um, somebody had mentioned Felicia Day's account and I went on there. And she wasn't, you know, I mean, she's obviously already, you know, like one of the geek goddesses out there. And, and you know, she's ingrained in the minds of all these nerds and stuff, you know, for, for being Felicia Day and everything that she does. I didn't know anything about her, about her background at all. I just, I thought she was funny. And... She had posted some links to a couple of videos that she had done recent at that time. So I still had no clue. I didn't really bother like IMDBing her or anything like that. But yeah, I started talking to her back and forth and, and um 
really, really thought maybe she was like a struggling actress, comedian who had just a little bit of Twitter credit. I had no idea she was the, the girl from Dr. Horrible and, and, and uh, everything else, you know? So a lot of people hated me. So you had this, this, you know, this goddess for us <laughs> online and you didn't do anything with it. So, yeah, yeah, I screwed up there. Now, the, the breaking point, I guess, would be the combination of John Favreau, the John Favreau conversation, <laughs> and also Jonah Hill finding out about the Twitter. That's when it got really weird. <laughs> That's um, when it got really weird. Now, was Jonah's response what you expected, or were you kind of disappointed by his- I was bummed out. I really, really was bummed out. I'll be honest with you. I mean, one of the things that I really, really was expecting, um, to be honest with you, was uh, one, of the, one of the points for me picking Jonah Hill was if he finds out about it, he might think it's funny. You know, I, I can, I mean, you, it's not like you picked, you know, Sean Penn, who doesn't have a sense of humor whatsoever. Uh, you know, I mean, you don't pick someone like that because you know that nothing's going to come from it. Um, you know, you, you go with someone like Jason Siegel or Michael Sarah or Jonah Hill because you're thinking maybe they'll think it's pretty funny. You know, I mean, I didn't have any delusions like, oh, this is going to be, you know, something that is going to make me huge. Yeah, and he's going to become my best friend, and I'm going to be an actor. Yeah, he's going to be my buddy. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be in all his movies. And, uh, but no, I mean, but the reaction was basically just as icy as I guess you would expect it to be from like a Sean Penn or something. I never got contacted directly, but this whole house of cards came tumbling down because, uh, like you said, John Favreau, he's. Uh, He's pretty popular on Twitter right now, but at the time, um, I believe he was solely running his Twitter simply to promote, you know, all the behind-the-scenes stuff while he was shooting Iron Man 2. And so I I went on there, and um, I forget exactly how that got started. I just did the same thing where I did at replies, and he was like, oh, hey. And he started sending me messages about how I should start hosting. He was dead serious. Um, the way he was talking to me in DMs, that he was serious, that he really wanted to start um, that, I think it's called Dinner for Five on IFC, that show where it was just a bunch of guys sitting around, John yeah. Favreau, was like, he was a round, like a round table talking about movies. He was like, would you be interested in, in, in you know, if we if we relaunched that and being the host or something like that? And it was kind of cool. And I was like, okay, so he obviously believes that I'm, I'm me. And I was like, you know, I'm kind of working on projects and stuff like that. <laughs> The coolest was he sent me a picture um, to me as Jonah Hill. That was uh, the Iron Man suit. So I think I got to see the Iron Man two suit before anybody else did. <laughs> he was like, you know, as long as you know, he's like, I trust you not to you know circulate this, but I'll send you a shot of the suit. Uh, so that was really cool. But we went back and forth because he shot or he he sent out a tweet that was. Uh, talking about helicopters that were flying over the set. You know, he's like, oh, there's paparazzi flying over the set in their helicopters trying to get pictures. And as Jonah Hill, I responded, you know, with a smart-ass tweet, which was something along the lines of, I'm totally flying my private, you know, helicopter over the Iron Man 2 set. I hope John Favreau sees me. And we just went back and forth. I mean, he sent, he sent a reply, you know, this is all on Twitter, so everybody could see because, you know, you know, want to kind of have the back and forth going there uh so he went right back at me with you know uh oh is that you you know it's like i thought i i thought i saw a meatball sub fall out of the helicopter or something like that <laughs> so you know I, it was playful the whole time i mean i went back like oh man call off your security i'm gonna bungee jump after my sandwich and <laughs> all this crap it was really cool i mean it was great so later on um <laughs> Uh, right after Father's Day, I still remember this. I think it was the day after Father's Day. Uh, Favreau sends out this tweet, and it was I just emailed um, Jonah Hill and found out that Jonah Hill Jew is not him, <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. I mean, that's when everything started kind of just crashing down and stuff. Um, there was a segment on. Uh, there's an E! show, like an Entertainment Tonight type show on, on the E! channel, uh, like a half-hour entertainment show. And they interviewed him on the set of that movie that came out a while back, Get Him to the Greek. They're still shooting it. And they interviewed him and asked him about, about the fake thing because apparently E! at one point posted one of the tweets I did as Jonah Hill. Um, <laughs> the Jonah Hill thing, I mean, everything that I tweeted as Jonah Hill were just the, the same jokes that you'll see on my on my Twitter account now. They're just one-liners, you know? 
Yeah. And one of the ones I put out was that I was at a uh, I was at a deli, and some guy asked me or, or told me that I should remake Groundhog Day, and that movie is sacred. And that was my tweet as Jonah Hill. And this is the kind of identity that I had at that time was, you know, my own Twitter account at the time was basically the the boring stuff, you know, the headed to work or eating a sandwich, you know, the kind of stuff that nobody likes. The Jonah Hill stuff was just for the jokes. And when I when I sent that out, I mean, this is like a real, this is kind of like the stuff that's kind of based in real life. You know, there was a conversation I had with somebody and somebody said that they should remake Groundhog Day and. I was like, you know, you don't need to touch that movie. And so I decided to send a tweet as Jonah Hill, making it sound like somebody approached me with that. Well, E, um, they put that tweet, I didn't know this, but they put this on their show. I guess they did like a celebrity tweet of the day. <laughs> they put Jonah Hill and uh, they put that tweet up. So whenever they found out that the, the account was fake, they went to Jonah Hill and they were talking to him. And he was like, yeah, that sucks. And, you know, why do I have to be in a deli? Because I'm Jewish. I'm, you know, that's kind of anti-Semitic. This was a huge overreaction from this guy. <laughs> and I still remember, like, on my blog, this is before I, I came out uh, and admitted everything, um, I posted something saying, you know, I went with Delhi because restaurant takes up more characters. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the, the day, um, you know, my final question, I guess, would be the day that you made the giant reveal about yeah. everything and you posted the blog explaining everything. Um, were you... What what was the follower reaction to it? It was it, it was really really surprising. Um, I don't know if it was because of the fact that I, I spent time to write exactly why I did it or explain what was going on or give the details behind it. And everything. I really I'll be honest with you. I mean I didn't I didn't think it was that huge. That it was going to get this huge, you know. Yeah. And. Um, I, of course, I expected to lose like a ton of followers. You dick! I hate you. Um, also, you know the timing of it. You know, whenever you admit to everything when you're caught, does give it a lot less. Uh, uh, I don't know, like a, a lot less weight to it. You know. So um, when I posted that blog, my expectation was to see just a ton. You know, just just to, you know everything to go just to go away, go back to where it was. And I'll be back to maybe like my 40 or, or or go back to my regular Twitter account, which would be like 40 or 50 people at the time, you know, just friends or other people that I knew from MySpace or Facebook. And the response was amazing because, I mean, I did put at the end of the blog was like, you know, the, the Jonah Hill Twitter account was suspended, obviously. <laughs> uh, but right before it was suspended, I I was lucky enough to get that link posted on the Jonah Hill thing to my blog, which I think was on Blogspot at the time. And um, everybody could read, you know, what was, you know, what the whole reasoning was, the whole story, pretty much everything I just explained in, in, in this interview that, you know, what happened and how I did it. And uh, at the end of it, I, I posted a link to my regular Twitter account. It's like, this is, this is me. You know, this is where I'm at. I'm just going to start posting all my goofy jokes and stuff there. But, you know, if anybody wants to come over, if anybody wants to, you know, scream at me or whatever i think i got maybe like literally maybe two or three people and that was it that said something like oh man you suck or whatever but the response was incredible i mean i got probably like a third of the of jonah hill's followers come follow me over there that i've I've been lucky enough to build off of just with my smart ass you know twitter account but yeah i mean i don't i really can't answer i don't know how how the backlash wasn't that bad um, okay, so, what, if you hadn't gotten caught, how much longer <laughs> do you, would you have eventually admitted it, or were you probably just going to ride that until you were well, caught? Well, here's what's funny, um, when I, right before the, I got caught on it, um, I was trying to focus more on my writing, you know, because I'm, yeah, I'm a writer, whatever. Yeah, I, I like to I like to do fiction and, and stuff like that. And you know, there comes a point where playing on the internet kind of overtakes all the other hobbies that you would rather do. Um, but what had happened was there was the there was these kids. At least I assume they were kids. I don't know. They, they looked like a couple of teenage girls um, that were running a Twitter account, um, kind of posting their goofy jokes or whatever. And when they were following me as Jonah Hill, they, they responded to one of my tweets, and it was a pretty funny reply. And so I responded back, 
as you know, as Jonah Hill, with something you know, something like "Oh, that was really funny," or or, or "Ha ha," I don't know. Um, but later on, I noticed that they had posted like this big thing, like "Oh my God, Jonah Hill talked to us," you know, and we got a reply. You know how people get, obviously, when you get a celebrity thing, uh, a celebrity response, right back, know. right back to your your coworker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. I mean, full circle. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember the look on his face when I explained to to my coworker that you know it wasn't a real account and that it was you know and explained why and then the realization afterwards that you know you probably really really dashed this guy's um you know his day and so i thought about that and i was like this is kind of wrong <laughs> when you get to this point and i was thinking i shouldn't reply to anybody but then i was like what's the point of even doing it yeah. you know um the initially it was to see if i could do it and then you kind of get really really um high on the you know the, the fact that you're talking to john favreau back and forth you know <laughs> stuff like that could go anywhere but i after i realized that that you know there are these kids who are really excited that they met jonah hill and even though the there was going to be quite unlikely that it was going to continue or anything like that i i it was it wasn't going to last there was going to be a reveal i just didn't think it was going to be after you know jonah hill did letterman <laughs> that was just weird all right well that's all we have time for. Where can my listeners follow you to to hear the real you and not the fake you? <laughs> well, I, I run my blog. It's uh, thejohnblog.com. Uh, it's a Tumblr account, but that'll take you straight to my Tumblr. And I'm on Twitter as the John Blog. Uh, I've also got a podcast that I do with my wife called Fridge Magnets. So check us out on iTunes. And uh, it was great talking to you, man. All right. Thanks for coming by, John. Uh, Chico's Vibe, play us out. show is produced by Powerdown Productions and sponsored by Geekscape.net. Check out Chico's Vibe at their website, chicosvibe.com.